that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? Uh, just recently, someone put on my timeline. No, I was looking out some, someone else's timeline on Facebook. And it had this uh, cute little st saying there. It says, when you are dead, you don't know that you are dead. It's only difficult for others. Very true. It's the same when you are stupid. <laughs> it's very difficult for others. And as one comedian says, you can't fix stupid. Well, let's take a look at what God calls stupid right here. Psalms 14 and verse 1. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, I've had opportunity, well, I don't know if you call it an opportunity or not, but sort of to sometimes interact with certain responses that I get from my videos and YouTube videos and all that. And often, uh, sometimes unbelievers or people that don't believe in God, atheists or whatever they are, you know, often come across as really highly intelligent. That's the view of themselves, that they're so highly intelligent. You know, we've convinced ourselves that there is no God. You know, intellectually stimulating conversation. And of course, you, you look at, okay, what does God think of this person? It doesn't, you know, what does God think of the atheist? Well, God calls him a fool. That's what God thinks. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And uh, on one occasion, I had this person uh, write me and say, you're not prepared to learn what I have to teach. And I thought, oh boy, what arrogance that is. Suppose I got on this program and said, you're not prepared to learn what I have to teach. Well, you know, uh, that, that's crazy. I hope you can learn. If I have something to teach, I hope you can learn it. I want you to be able to learn it. But some of the arrogance, you know, that, that you see from these people that do not reject God and do not believe in God is downright, well, it's disheartening, actually. It really is. Uh, you know, I, and I tell you, so a lot of it just doesn't make sense. To blame a being that you don't believe in for all the woe and misery in the world, that has never made any sense to me. You got this being, God, you don't believe in him, you don't believe in him, but you blame him for everything. You blame him for all the pain, all the suffering, all, you blame him for death, you blame him for accidents and, and everything that goes on that's bad. You blame this being that you don't believe in. Well, that's really bright. Boy, you're the brightest crayon in the box, aren't you? <laughs> I tell you. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, some of these people are actually highly intelligent. Uh, they really are. You know, the theory of evolution doesn't come from uneducated people. It really doesn't. I mean, some of these people are brilliant. It just, and, but it, it sort of reminds me of the verse that describes them in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7. It says this, it says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning. They're, they're learning and more and more and more and more, but they just can't come to the knowledge of the true simplicity, you know, about who and what is God, who and what, what, what is God doing through mankind. They just can't come to that. No way. No, it's almost as if their intelligence, the fact that they are highly intelligent, blocks them from knowing God. And uh, that's sort of pitiful when you think about it. 
Now, the lament of the atheists is this. How could an all-loving God allow such pain and suffering in the world? You know, we could talk about Hitler's death camps. We could talk about war. We could talk about cancer. We could talk about cancer wards for children. We could talk about hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and people getting wiped out. I mean, just, you know, just like so many drowned rats uh, by tsunamis. And, and we could talk about uh, AIDS and dysfunctional family systems and incest and why does God allow, and accidents, and car accident, accidents, why does God allow all of this? That's the lament of the atheist. You know, why? How could, you know, if he's so, if he's all powerful, then why doesn't he stop all the suffering in the world? Couldn't he keep bad things from happening? You know, I once read a book entitled, Oh God, Where Were You When I Needed You? It was a book about someone had asked a question to this minister, they were a couple, of, a, man, a husband and wife driving in a snowstorm. They got stranded and they had two little children in the back seat. And uh, they got stranded and of course they left the heat running in order not to freeze to death. And the snow kept building up and building up and, and, and the snow came up over the exhaust pipe. And it must have been some type of leak in the system or whatever, or in the floorboard or whatever. And the exhaust fumes came in, and, and of course they woke up half all droggy and half asleep. But by the time they got to their children, they had already uh, passed away. Their two children were dead. And the question that this man had is, you know, how could God allow this? Oh, oh God, where were you when I needed you? You know, people have some great questions, I admit. They really do about God and about why he allows certain things. But when I think about this, well, why does God, you know, why do bad things happen? My first answer is, well, because it's not God's world. Uh, don't you know that? It's not God's world, you know? Basically, right now, God is giving mankind enough rope to hang himself, you know? We abandoned God's world, perfect little world, 6,000 years ago. Don't you know that? That we're the ones that abandoned this perfect world 6,000 years ago. It's not God's fault. We're the ones that walked away. We're the ones that made the mistake. And we abandoned that perfect world 6,000 years ago. And I think religious people are at fault for making us think that it is God's world. I mean, you watch some of these television evangelists and, and they get on there and they talk about, you know, God is working mightily here today. Well, just the other day, God healed Bertha Butt's big toe. Praise Jesus. And the Lord is working mightily here right now among us and he's doing wonderful things. Oh, the Lord's working. And you think, well, boy, it must be God's world somewhere. It may not be here with me, but it's God's world somewhere. He's working mightily right there where Bertha Butt healed her big toe. Praise Jesus. You know, and, and I think religious people are at fault for making us think that this is God's world. You know, it's not God's world, not right now. Uh, the world, this is what is so ironic. The world that we all, you know, actually I have something in common with the atheists. We both want this perfect world. The atheist wants the perfect world. I want, as a religious person, I want, you know, we have a lot in common in that area. But here's what's so ironic. The world that we all want is the world that we left 6,000 years ago. It was called the Garden of Eden. Let's take a look at it, Genesis 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
Now, this was a perfect society. And there's a lot of things that were, you know, well, everything was perfect about this little world, the Garden of Eden, that they lived in. Genesis 2 and verse 6 says, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. You know, in this environment, it was a little bit different. There was no storms. There was no lightning. There was no hail storms. There were no floods. There were no tsunamis. There was no, no hurricanes, no tornadoes, no, no fault line. It was the perfect place. Uh, and it, 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 was, it was really a, like a test run to see how man would respond living in a perfect world. Okay, we're going to see how the first two humans respond living in this perfect world. How do you think they responded? And let me ask you a question. Would you, if the opportunity was given to you again today, if God gave you this opportunity to live in this perfect world, uh, would you have been contented? Would you have been satisfied? Or would you have walked away and made the same mistakes? Well, I know the answer to that. Maybe you don't, but I do. We would, we would have made the same stupid mistake if the opportunity was given to us today to live in this perfect environment, this perfect world. You know, they say that there was a canopy over the earth back then that sort of kept out some of the ultraviolet rays, and maybe that was one of the reasons why, you know, that canopy is missing today and why so much cancer and stuff like that. These are all theories that people have, but, you know, it could have been true. It could have been true. For one thing for sure, there was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no infant mortality, there was no cancer. And man, get this one, man could live forever if he chose properly. Now, you can't, folks, you can't beat this. You can't, this was a perfect society, a perfect environment. This environment was so perfect that the first two, two humans, you know, Adam and Eve, could go around naked and not get a scratch on them. Think about that. You know, uh, what would happen to you if you ran through the woods naked today? Well, you probably wouldn't survive five minutes. Thorns and thistles and briars and tree limbs and all that. But this, this, what I'm saying, this society, this environment was so protected, so safe, that the first Adam and Eve could run around naked and not get a scratch on them. Now, I asked the question, would you be content if God made the same deal with you? I'll tell you what I think. I think Adam and Eve got bored. You know, and they just got bored. I mean, we're living in a perfect world. What are we going to do now? It's perfect. Everything's perfect. You know, the mist is coming up from the ground and it's in the watering the earth. And it's, you know, everything's just perfect. And I'm getting bored. I want some excitement around here. And I think they got bored and they wanted to experience, they wanted to experience good, but they also wanted to experience evil. And so the opportunity was presented to them to experience both. And you know, just a little side note, real salvation is coming to a point where you realize evil is downright stupid. And that's a process. You can't just tell man, this is good, this is evil, don't, don't do this. It's like putting a child in a room full of toys and saying, don't, and sing, singling out one toy and saying, don't you touch that toy. Well, you know what's going to happen. As soon as you turn your back, that's going to be the toy that the child touches first. The one you have singled out and said, don't touch it. 
And so, you know, you can tell man, you can tell us, okay, this is good, this is evil, don't, don't go there, that will hurt you. But we have to experience it for ourselves. And I'm saying real salvation is, is a process of coming to a point where you realize evil is just downright, it doesn't, compared to the goodness of God, it doesn't even make any sense. But that's a process. So what happened? Well, they wanted to experience evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, that's, and they chose poorly. And because they chose poorly and because they sinned, because they rebelled against God, a very simplistic commandment, you know, eat of the tree of life, live forever, and don't eat of that one, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They chose poorly. Yes, they chose poorly, and they were cast out of their perfect little world. That's what happened. Yeah, sad. So the world that we so desperately want is the world that we left 6,000 years ago. And let's take a look at what happened. Genesis 3 and verse 17, it says, And unto Adam he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of, of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sakes. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Oh boy, cursed be the ground. Verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and you shall eat of the herb of the fields. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Folks, I don't have to tell you this, but I got two words. Not good. This is not good. Living outside of Eden. It's a whole different ball of wax. It's a whole different environment, you see. Once we were thrust out because of our rebellion of this perfect world, it's not too good. Things get a little bit dangerous. You have to be a risk taker. Now, outside of this environment, people could live and move to the floodplains. They could move to the Midwest and get wiped out by a tornado. They can move and put their house right on a fault line, you know. Hey, they could build their home on a fault line beneath a volcano, a live volcano if they chose. They were free to go anywhere outside of this Eden and build homes and live and reproduce children and live their lives. But it was dangerous, okay. It was high risk living. It was not safe. There were certain dangers connected to it. You know, do you like living dangerously? Let me ask you that question. Some people do, you know. Uh, but you see, outside, outside of Eden, that's your choice. You have to live dangerously. You know, I like, I love riding motorcycles and, and uh, you know, I realized, man, I could ride a motorcycle and I, I, a deer could run out in front of me and I could get killed. I could wrap my bike around a tree and I could get killed. Yeah, it could happen. But I'm willing to take the risk. You understand what I'm saying? I am willing to take that risk. And I'm not, hopefully I won't blame God if something bad happens. You know, uh, if I blame God, maybe I should get rid of the risk there and quit doing the risk. 
if I'm going to blame God for everything that happens to me. But you know, real men don't stick their thumb in their mouth and blame God, blame a being they don't believe in for all the woe and misery of the world. That's not what a real man does. A real man is willing to take the chance living in this dangerous world. He's willing to take the risk. It is dangerous. Get used to it. <clears throat> Get used to it. It's a dangerous, dangerous world in which we're living in right now. Outside of Eden. Oh yeah, it's not the perfect little world that we had at the beginning. We left that world 6,000 years ago. Now, let, let's deal with some reality. How could God go about stopping, let's say, emphysema and lung cancer? My uncle died of emphysema. He, you know, you choke to death, basically. You can't breathe. It was hideous. You know, but how would God go about stopping the smoker? Every time he gets ready to light up, you know, an invisible hand would come out and knock a cigarette out of the mouth. And if something, it's going to get, it's going to get, you know, we don't want that, do we? No, if you're a smoker and you're, you're wanting to smoke, you want to smoke. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You want to smoke. And you don't want someone taking away your freedom to do so. But I'm asking a question, how would God go about stopping emphysema and lung cancer? You know, he could, say, he could tell us, don't smoke. Everybody knows that. It's on the pack of cigarettes. But how would he prevent you from doing, lighting up? How would God stop the AIDS virus? You know, I, you know I'm convinced if, if, if our society kept the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, in two years all STDs would be wiped out, you wouldn't have, and including the AIDS virus. Just two years of, of everybody keeping the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. You know, the law of God, it works. I mean, that's the point. And that's what, it's, it's there to make your life work. It's not an arbitrary, God is not giving us arbitrary, you know, just, just going about flippantly giving us law. You know, well, God could have just said, go ahead and commit adultery. As easy as he said, don't commit adultery. No, it's not the way it works, you know. Whatever these things that we have inside of us can be transmitted back and forth between husband and wife and nothing happens. But if you start transmitting these things back and forth between this partner, that partner, this person, that one, back and forth, back, 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 multiple partners, something goes wrong. And, uh, you know, STDs occur. Sexual transmitted diseases occurs. God's law is for your own good. So how would God stop? you know, the gay community from, let's say, oral and anal sex and multiple partners? How would God prevent that? Maybe an invisible chastity belt. And that's gross to even think about. I saw, I, I was at one of these dungeon things at Myrtle Beach one time, and they, they actually had a, you know, one of those things that, that I, I guess back then a woman would, would wear in a chastity belt. It was plum scary looking. You don't want to know what happens. I mean, it's just... But how, my question is, how would God stop this? And do we want God intervening in our lives, keeping us from doing the things that we want to do? How would God go about stopping dysfunctional family systems? Two couples in the heat of, you know, a couple in the heat of passion. Um, they bring a child into the world who is not loved, not wanted, not appreciated. The child is reared by grandparents that don't really have any morals themselves, don't really know right from wrong and don't teach properly and don't want the child anyway. 
the child grows up and you know he goes through puberty and then as soon as he goes through puberty he has sex with a close relative and out of that union is a retarded handicapped little girl comes into the world did God do that is that God's fault are we blaming God for this stuff why are we blaming God for this stuff I want to tell you something that you're not going to like. I'm not sure I really like it, but it's a fact. It's something I got to get used to about God. God will never take away from you the thing that you value the most. And let me tell you what you value the most. Let me tell you what you value more than your wife, more than your husband, more than your children, more than your parents, more than your home, more than country, and more than God. What you value more than anything is the freedom God has given you to choose. God created us a free moral agency with the ability to choose right from wrong. And God will never, ever take that freedom away from you. Never. Because it's the thing that you value the most. And to blame God for giving you that freedom is like, well, it's like the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Did you know that there are beings that never sin? They never make a mistake. It's, they're called cows. <clears throat> cows. You know, cows, they sit around, chew, uh, stand around, chew the cud and drool and eat grass. And, but they never sin. They never make a mistake. Do you want to be a cow? You know, God could have programmed you to always make the right decisions, but you're not a robot. You're a free moral agent with the ability to choose. And that's the God. In other words, that, you share the nature of God. Freedom to choose, right from wrong. You're created in God's image and likeness. And part of being in God's likeness is that you have the freedom to choose. You're not programmed. You're not a robot. You have the freedom to choose. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to, re to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. God says, I want you to choose life. And there's two choices, life or death, blessings or cursings. That's your choice. You may not like it. It may be tough. It may be hard for you to choose the right thing. But get used to it. Who said it was going to be easy? Who promised you a rose garden, for pity's sakes? No, it's tough. Two choices, the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil. But you know what I believe about you? I believe this, that one day, out into the future, you will come to your senses. And like I said, Salvation, part of salvation is coming to a point through experience that you realize evil is no good. Doing the wrong thing is no good compared to what God has for you. One day we'll, we'll all come to our senses and we'll realize this choosing evil is downright stupid. You know, it's the prodigal son. You know, he took a leave of absence. He took a leave of absence and he went out and spent all his money and became a fool. The fool has said there is no God, and he came to his senses eventually. 
especially, and let me emphasize, especially compared to the life that God has for you that will work for you, that will bless you. All the blessings that God has for you. It is a matter of choices that we make, life or death. And my choosing this way of evil, our choosing this way of evil, has caused all the pain and misery and the suffering of this world. Listen, you and I left that perfect world 6,000 years ago. And if we had it to do all over again, we would still make the same choice. We would get bored. We would get tired of this perfect environment. And we would want to experience, yes, good and evil. We would want to have the knowledge of that. And God has given us 6,000 years to learn the lesson that we all must learn. But one day you'll come around and you'll make the right choice. And you will realize, man, choosing evil is not good. It doesn't satisfy. Oh, there's temporary satisfaction of sin. But in the end, it's complete disaster and misery. So I'm saying, let's grow up. Pull your thumb out of your mouth. Be grateful that you're not a cow. Be grateful that you have the freedom to choose right from wrong. And that's what's really in your Bible. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.